euthanasia has been something I've been fascinated about since high school. When we did those topics where should we or should we not be helping people in pain to relieve their suffering. And today I am very lucky to be speaking to Hugh Sargent, President of Dying with Dignity Victoria. Welcome, Hugh. Good afternoon, Carly. Hello. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. So first off, I'd like to ask you how you became president. What is your interest in dying with dignity? Um, I've seen it um, as something which uh, I think should be a right to everyone. If they've got control over their life, they should also have control over their death. The um, I the sequence was that um, I think it was in 2014, I saw where Dr Rodney Syme was um, going to face prosecution of some sort. And I wrote to the organisation and said, look, um, if that comes, if it comes about, then I'll feel my support. And that sort of introduced them to me and vice versa. And so I then was invited to join. And at the end of 2018, I became, I became president when the then president uh, resigned from the board. So offering your support, your background is in what? Um, I worked as an actuary, which um, might not seem to have much to do with this topic. It's a mathematical job, basically. And so, but I've just got an interest in, um, I guess, things to do with people's control over their own fate. And that's just part of it. Mathematicians, as far as I know, are very philosophically bent. So I'm imagining that you're very intellectual as well. So thank you for your time. Now, I just want to talk about the Voluntary Assisted Dying Act because that's what we're governed by. Is that correct? That's correct. That's that's the one that stands in Victoria and which is the only one which is implemented at the moment in Australia. Oh, wow, in Australia. So what, what does that actually say? What does that mean what it means is it provides a legislative framework for people who are seeking to end their lives before the disease they have does that for them. And at the moment for Victorians, if they're suffering from a terminal illness, usually where death is expected within six months, for certain neuro neurological conditions it's within 12 months, and where the person considers that any other treatments aren't acceptable to them. And that's it in a nutshell. There are various there, is, there are 68 conditions that need to be met, as I as I recollect it. Um, it's one of the most stringent regimes in the whole world, but it does provide in providing and the conditions that if you are suffering intolerably and if your death is expected reasonably soon, then you can get medication which will give you a, a peaceful exit very soon after you take the medication. So this is for people, as you say, that have not long-term chronic pain suffering, but for a terminal illness or a terminal condition that will be bringing their fate quickly towards them within six to 12 months. Is that correct? That's definitely the, the case that simply being, um, simply having suffering alone is insufficient. Is insufficient. Under the Act, um, doctors must be able to say that they expect in most cases, death within six months. So from your time there, how many people have yearly really asked for help or looked for support? Uh, we don't know that because, of course, the people who ask for it, um, many of them don't meet, the, don't meet the criteria. Of course. There have been a lot of approaches from people who say, say look, my, my life is misery, but um, that's not enough unless they've got a condition uh, which makes death 
likely within six months, let's say, then they simply can't can't proceed. Okay, so why do you think we need these laws? Well, um, some people maintain we don't. One common argument against it is uh, that people say that the, the service provided by palliative care is enough, uh, but we maintain, and on the basis of evidence from, from various places, that there are a number of cases uh, where palliative care is insufficient and there are palliative care doctors who maintain that's the case. And so where, where palliative care is insufficient, where management of pain and so on is not enough, where people feel that they simply don't want to continue, then that's where we say there's a need for something else. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking. I've read Rodney Symes' book, Time to Die, and he talks about existential suffering. Can you talk to me about that? So that's not a body pain or... No. Yeah, what is that? Well, I had actually always assumed that pain would be the main problem, unrelievable pain. But I'm told by people who are in this, this line of work that that's not the case. Normally, it's um, more commonly, it's where uh, people's lives have simply become a misery through things like lack of autonomy, lack of control over their life in total. And in particular, they can have just all sorts of things which making their lives misery. Um, I've mentioned to you how we provide a service whereby we have to provide some what's effectively paperwork at the just before medication gets prescribed. And one gentleman said to me, look, I don't want to die, but I can't go on living like this. It's profound, isn't it? Interesting. Really interesting because that's what he talks about. A lot of people know that they're going to die, I guess. And he talks about the need for people to have the control, as you've said. So it's not even the fact I think your website talks about and maybe they won't even take the medication to end their life, but it's having the choice available relieves some of that suffering. Is that what you found? Uh, yes, apparently that's been that's been uh, emphasised um, a number of times. I've actually got a couple of notes here provided by one of our doctors who's um, providing assisted dying, and there's a note there from some one of his, his his I think it's the brother of one of the people who died, and he said uh, he says. Even though he didn't use it, it was such an enormous comfort to him to have the VAD option. So yeah. it's definitely the case that people feel once they've got the medication available to them, they don't need to take it. But having it having it available to them is is a great comfort. So with part of what your service is, you are witnessing for people their need to end their life. What it's it's something that which we do simply voluntarily. It's um. It's arisen because the Act requires that after all the various conditions have been met, after all the paperwork's been, been prepared and so on, the, the tests has been made, before they can um, arrange for medication to, to, be, to be sent, uh, two independent people, people who don't um, share in the, the, the person's will or anything like that, have to be able to say that they consider that the person has decision-making capacity. In other words, they aren't doing this when they're perhaps, say, um, they've already lost their faculties or anything like that. Sometimes with, when, when the people can't supply those witnesses themselves, then we will do that for them. Okay. So part of the book that I also read talks about the diseases that people might seek this out. Um, the ones that I'm involved with have typically been when there's been cancer. So with your 
cancer experience, is there a general feeling of relief in having the ability to choose? Uh, that's been that's been the case. And the ones that I've seen, everything that I've seen, some people, um, because we have to be with them and be with them for long enough to establish, yes, they do seem to have decision-making capacity that they can carry on a conversation, they can respond uh, appropriately to questions or anything else that's going on. Um, and some of them talk a great deal. Um, and some of them talk about, um, yes, they, um, they've they realised that uh, uh, their, their end is coming very soon and they want to do it in a way which will make it easier for them uh, and in some cases even on their families uh, that they can be seen to be going with uh, in comfort and under control rather than facing what can be very, um, very unpleasant uh, ends for them. Because I've read too that part of being in palliative care is really good mouth hygiene, I guess, um, looking after their swallowing and all that sort of thing. So in the position of getting or seeking this advice or need, what stage would they have to do that at? It would have to be where they could obviously communicate. So months prior? Um, I'm uncertain. I'm uncertain when those sorts of things kick in. Um, you know, to emphasise the point, I've got no medical training. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, I understand that things, various things break down and that um, dryness in the mouth uh, and uh, can be very unpleasant. Um, and I think they also help um, moisten the lips. I think that's one of the services palliative care provides. And to remove any of that, um, everyone's, everyone that I know of says palliative care is an excellent service. Yes. It's just that it doesn't go far enough in some cases. What do you say to people that say it's suicide, euthanasia is suicide? Well, I suppose you can, firstly, um, it can be argued that's the case. Um, insofar as suicide is commonly associated with someone taking their own lives. There are some differences here, though. In South Australia, I think their Act actually states that this is not suicide. The Victorian Act does not contain the word suicide. And when the doctor uh, completes the paperwork, the births, deaths and marriages register the death, not as from suicide or from taking medication they ascribe it to the underlying disease. A consequence of that is that there are no implications for insurance because it simply doesn't come up as a topic. So I suppose to answer your question, um, it can be argued both ways, but we would say that if um, that it's, it's if anyone were concerned that there was anything uncontrolled about this, then well, all we can say is that in, in the whole world, there is no more um, carefully controlled regime for assisting people who want to end their lives earlier. Yeah, than in Victoria. Yeah. And what about people that say it's against the Hippocratic Oath for doctors? Yeah, the, the, the Hippocratic Oath, um, you might be aware, is an ancient one. It contains references to the god Apollo. Oh. It um, says that uh, you may not use the knife uh, implying surgery. And first, I think it's, it's, I'm correct in saying that in Australia, there is no requirement to make an oath. And that the most recent thing that I've come across from the International Association that deals with these things, they refer to the need to have consideration for the patient's autonomy and that the primary aim, primary aim includes the relief of suffering. So we don't see the Hippocratic Oath argument as, as a convincing one in these cases. 
So with people that may be thinking about this, they can call you and get counselling or is it the people that are caring for the person? How does that work? If they, if they are aware that there's an option and they think that it's, it's possible they might want it, um, the government via the service called the, the, the VAD Navigators offers an excellent service of information um, and that could be a starting point their own um, general practitioner may be aware of what's available and may be able to give them advice. Um, we can do. We've got we offer a counselling service for people if they choose to go that way. Um, and there's plenty of stuff available on the web uh, which they can look at uh, to talk about all the options and, and the conditions that need to be met. So I was just thinking, if I knew someone that was in pain and had a terminal illness, is it okay for me to bring up voluntary assisted dying i've heard rumors that you're not meant to say it to the person that's dying because you could be charged is that correct yes and no the um part where it is correct is that the treating doctor may not raise the topic okay i understand that in western australia that's not the case but in victoria the doctor cannot raise the topic um and there's actually an intriguing um video clip i think it's here on the government website where someone's being interviewed by the doctor and the doctor has to duck and weave to avoid raising that topic, even though it's plain that if the person knew about it, they would they would want to know more. But I, as I understand it, this restriction only applies to um, health professionals. And so other people, there's nothing, there's no um, ban on them talking with people like them, family members and so on. In Rodney's book, it talks about the possible need for a psychiatrist. Now, you talked about the 68 conditions and if the person was in sound mental health. So the psychiatrist would be brought on board if there was dementia involved. Is that the case? Uh, I think I'm correct in saying that the, um, with the you know, maybe where there has to be two doctors involved, there has to be a, um, let's say, a general practitioner and also a specialist. The situation for a psychiatrist arrives if they have doubt about whether the person is in a sound state of mind one of the um, necessary conditions for the legislation, which was one of the conditions we've seen as being appropriate to be sure of, was that people weren't, say, having a fit of depression, uh, which has made them think that they want to take their lives, when in fact, if they, they were treated for that, the, uh, the, the problem would be solved. And so the, the need for a psychiatrist will only arise necessarily if the doctors are concerned that they can't give a clear report on sound state of mind. What about if a person's suffering from chronic pain, a chronic condition, but hasn't been given six months or 12 months to live, but there's existential suffering, they're in chronic pain, there's no medical way to, to soothe that pain or do anything about that pain. Do they come under this or is that not in this act yet? The simple suffering of pain under the act is insufficient. Okay, so it has to be a terminal illness. Have to be have to be um, given that opinion. Okay. That, apart from neurological conditions, that they've got less than six months to live. So could that also include the elderly who have deteriorated and just in general ill health? Well, I mean, from one illustration, there's a gentleman who uh, I was spoke with for some long time who he said, look, my, my, I basically live from, um, he basically lives from, from sort of scan to scan. His life's a misery. 
Um, but no one can tell him. No one can give him an estimate of when he's going to die. So he's just got to live. He's just got to accept that he can't access this this service. That's challenging. How do you feel about that? Can you give your opinion? Yeah, I can give my opinion. The, the In other um, regimes around the world, I think Canada's one which is... Canada, you may be aware, has got assisted dying legislation. And as I recollect, even though the thing is still in under um, revision, they have a, a situation where they say where death is reasonably foreseeable. In the Netherlands, the conditions are even lighter. But um, for me, there are so many cases where people's lives are, are obviously, um, they find it in their condition intolerable, and yet they can't get assisted dying in, in Victoria. And to me, that seems um, unfortunate. And uh, my preference would be for that when, when the review comes up in four or five or so years' time, that consideration would be given to adjusting that condition. So the review comes up in four years? It's five years from implementation, and I think they take uh, consideration the first four years of operation. Okay. So it's from 19th of June 2019 is when it was implemented. Oh, wow. So it was implemented a long time after the Act actually came in. Yes, yeah, so we gave them, the government felt um, perhaps reasonably that 18 months or so, a significant period, was needed to enable the various government organisations um, and the health professionals to make the arrangements that they needed to make. Fair enough. So if we want to support your organisation, are you a charity? We are, yeah, we are a charity. So you have members? We do. So if we wanted to support your organisation, we can go to dwdv.org.au or if we want to get in touch about counselling or other advice, then the option is to obviously look up the Voluntary Assisted Dying Act. And Hugh, thank you so much for your time today and really nutting that out with me. I understand that a lot better now and if I'm in a place of myself or someone else I know, I will feel much better in being able to point them in the right direction. Do you have a quote that you'd like to share with us today? I do have something that I might just quickly read to you because I think it's a very interesting summary of the situation people find them in and what can then um, happen. This was an unusual case where because this is called assisted dying, it is normally the case where someone will take the medication themselves. In this case, they weren't able to do so and you need special um, permission to enable, enable the doctor to give an injection. This is what the person wrote to the doctor, uh, Dr. Cameron McLaren, the oncologist concerned. The person concerned writes to Dear Cam, I struggle to think of a way to say thank you, thank you for what you have done for me. I chose to write it down so that you can never forget. Thank you for your bravery in administering the medication for me today so I can finally be at peace. Thank you for making me a priority in your schedule when I'm sure you have other patients to attend and family of your own. Thank you for being so kind to my family, putting their minds at rest and answering their questions. Thank you for spending many years of your life studying and working hard in order that you can help people like me. I am pleased and honoured to have known you for what feels like a fleeting moment. I am proud of the job you have done and am eternally grateful. Best wishes for your future, mate. So um, that's that's my response to your question. It might be... A typical quote, but I thought it might be relevant in the circumstances. Very profound and touching. That's amazing. It? it is. And that, that brings me to, I guess, something I hadn't thought about before. 
the way the doctors handle the situation, these are very special doctors that believe in what they're doing and are really going through this process of their patients dying regularly. Yeah, it is a special line of work. Um, many, many doctors are, of course, in support. Many are not. And the pool of doctors available at the moment, I still think, is, I think is still um, a lot, a lot fewer than we would see as ideal. I expect that over time that will change. But yeah, at the moment the burden is being carried. Um, it's not being carried as widely as I think I think would be ideal. Yes. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for your time, Hugh. Much appreciated. You're welcome. All the best. Thank you. And good luck with all of the people that you speak to and the people that need your help. So remember, Dying with Dignity Victoria, dwdv.org.au. You've been on Good Health Radio with Kylie Roger. Thank you so much, Hugh. And we will be back after this break.